Amen. Please open your Bible if you have it with you. If you do not, there should be one available for you nearby in the pew rack. If you'd open it to the New Testament, open it to the Gospel of Matthew. And we are in chapter 11, that which we began last week, and looking at the doubting time of John the Baptist. Jesus spoke directly about John and the fact that among those who were born of women, there were none who had arisen who were greater than John the Baptist. He pointed constantly and directly at Christ. He pointed to the Messiah. He sent his own disciples to Christ. And yet, as we noted last time, even the strongest of those of the faith sometimes become weary, sometimes become doubtful, sometimes become weak. And even in my own confession last week, my great desire is that we as a body would begin to communicate together as family, as the people of Christ, that we would not suffer in silence, that we would not become stoical, but that we would send it to Christ and then send it to one another for help. James says, confess your sins to one another. And especially if you have something against someone else, let's get that taken care of. And quickly, Jesus taught us if we come to worship and we remember that someone has something against us, leave, go, make it right. And I've had so many of you contact me this week directly or, or indirectly through text or email saying, I understand because I'm there. I've been in those spiritual doldrums. And yet, we may always sing of the joy of Christ. Joy to the world. The Lord is come, but we share one another's burdens. We lean upon one another, and some of you have already begun healing those relationships that have become sour or fouled in some way. And I praise God, and I hope and pray that we will all become those who will come to one another in love and embrace one another in forgiveness and move on so that the kingdom of Christ will advance and God will be glorified. But we are Americans. We are rugged individualists. And we don't tell anybody when we're suffering or hurting. But the greatest prophet to that point in time sent for help. And his friends carried the message of Jesus back to him. I am the one who is promised. I am the Savior. I am the only one. Be not dismayed. Be not afraid. Do not doubt. Do not fear. I want our community to look like Jesus, and on bad days, I want us to look like John the Baptist, sending to Jesus, receiving his comfort, and then fearlessly going forward, even into death, at the hands of Herod. We should never see John, despite his questions, as weak or, or, or vacillating because he was the greatest in a long succession of prophets. He declared that which was greater. They declared the coming of a Messiah. He declared this one, Jesus, is the Savior. He is the Messiah. And as great as John was, and we noted this last time, Jesus is the greatest of all. His kingdom is great. 
John proclaimed Jesus. If the people of that day had received the message of John into their hearts, they would have received Jesus and he would have come to his own and his own would have received him. But as the gospel of John tells us, he came into his own and his own received him not. And then Jesus said a striking thing. And it has application for you who are the followers of Jesus. The one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist. That's an astounding statement. Even the least of us, we who have been received into the kingdom by the grace of God, by the saving work of Jesus Christ, by the power of his Holy Spirit, even the least of us are greater than John because we can point the world to Jesus Christ. And we may do so more specifically than even John because we stand on this side of the accomplished work of Christ who lived a perfect life and gave himself freely in death on a cross that our sins might be atoned for. And the Father was pleased and rose him from the grave and received him into heaven, the perfect human being, fully human, fully God, and he intercedes for us that not only have our sins been forgiven, they are continually being forgiven, and we will ultimately step into eternal glory, and we will be in the presence of Christ forever. And we have heard that message of the gospel clearly. And we have been born again by the Holy Spirit. We understand the purpose of Christ's work, the scope of, of, of his redemption, and the power of his, his, his redeeming work. Therefore, we clearly proclaim these things and proclaim Christ himself. We preach Christ crucified and resurrected and living and coming again soon. But Jesus didn't stop there, and he went on. And I want us to read our text together. Look down in verse 16. Verse 16, we'll read till the end of the chapter. But to what shall I compare this generation it's like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking and they say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking and they say look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, 
I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle, lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. God, increase our understanding through the reading of your word, and now may Christ increase, and may this preacher decrease as we look at these passages together. Lord, we lift up your name. Amen. We see in this little passage something that we need to really take note of. It's something that we take note of often, but I believe that because we don't think it all the way through, we sometimes get discouraged in sharing the gospel. We grow afraid. We're afraid we're going to say the wrong thing. We're afraid that people will reject us, that they will hate us, that they will hurt us, that they will kill us. And in fact, we know that as followers of Jesus, go back and just read through chapter, chapter 10 and you will see, yes, these things will happen to true followers of Jesus. They will. But when we pursue to the end, we will receive the crown of life. When we go through all that this life brings to us, whether it be good or bad, when we arrive into the presence of the Lord, he will say, well done. You were a good servant. You were faithful to me. And it is true that when the gospel, the good news of the kingdom goes forth, many remain unrepentant. Others are just indifferent. But yet, even as we have read just moments ago, as Jesus concluded this little time of teaching, we see that those who receive the message of the great king, those who come to Christ in faith, receive rest for their souls. And so we deliver the message no matter the result. For the result is in the hands of God, yes? More and more, there was friction uh, arising between Jesus and the religious leaders. More and more, uh, they were criticizing. They had criticized John. They were criticizing Jesus, saying all manner of things. And as we proceed on through Matthew's gospel in the coming year, we will see this growing hatred of Jesus, of his ministry, and certainly of his works of power. Works that they attribute to Satan because they cannot stand the fact that this man is truly the Messiah. Because all of Jesus' works bore witness to the fact that he is Messiah, that he is the Savior, that he is the Lord, that he is the High King. And John the Baptist had been proclaiming that and proclaiming that. Back in verse 14, which we touched on briefly last week, Jesus referred to violent men, violent men who sought to establish their own power, their own influence over the people. And we would see that those, in part, were the Pharisees and the scribes. They should have recognized Jesus first and foremost. These were those who had studied the Scripture they should have recognized him instantly, and they should have joined with John the Baptist in proclaiming that Messiah had come, the Savior had come, but instead they rejected the message of John and so are rejecting at this point in time the message of Jesus. Violent men. Herod the Tetrarch could be considered a violent man. He hated John. He hated John the Baptist because John the Baptist was not afraid to call him out on his sin. He had an immoral lifestyle, and John was not afraid or ashamed to confront Herod in it. And his hope was that Herod would come to repentance. And instead, Herod took John 
put him in prison. And in Matthew chapter 14, verse 5, we read, And though Herod wanted to put him to death, he feared the people because they held him to be a prophet. But now questions are beginning to arise. And he was bolstered with a a bit of courage, though it was tempered with great regret because of his lust for a young woman. And because of his weakness, he had John the Baptist, the greatest of the prophets, beheaded. Ultimately, violent men like these would crucify the Son of God. And so these leaders and men like Herod, along with the people who followed them and perhaps even a growing number within the great crowds that were following Jesus, refused to hear the call of repentance from John or from Jesus. And that call goes forth again today to you who have never come to faith in Christ. Repent, for judgment is coming. For this Christ whose birth we are celebrating is soon returning as judge and he will be revealed. And men and women will groan and cry for the rocks and the mountains to fall upon them and to destroy them. But all that will do is cause them to leap to judgment. And so Jesus, and noting their, their uh, refusal to repent, verses 16 and 17, he says, what shall I compare this generation to? It's like children sitting in the marketplaces, calling to their playmates. Come, we played the flute for you, but you did not dance. We sang a dirge for you. You did not mourn. And you say, well, that's, that's strange language but it made perfect sense to those who were listening. They, he was re- comparing these unrepentant souls to children playing in the marketplace. Their parents would go to market either to sell their wares or to buy their wares. And the children would go and they would do what children do. They would play games that mimic adult behavior. Those of you who do not yet have children, you don't understand this to the fullness that those of you who have children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren have. They are watching you, and they do what you do, and they say what you say. And we're surprised when our children say something that's sassy. I can remember a time when I was a child, I said something, I'm not going to repeat it here, it was terrible. My father said, where did you learn that? I said, mom said it in the garage. They are watching and they play games. I can remember as a child, my father directed music in the church, and I can remember directing an imaginary choir. And then when I grew up, I became for 20 years a church musician. Children play games mimicking adult behavior. Guard what you are doing, adults. Just a little side warning because your children will do what you do. But they enjoyed playing wedding games. We played a flute for you. And weddings were times of great celebration, and they had been, and they had seen, and there was musicians, and people were dancing, and it was, it was a marvelous time. We played the flute for you, but you didn't dance. Sitting there in the marketplace, come, let's play wedding, or come, let's play funeral. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn, and in those days, every person, even the poorest, would hire mourners upon the day of a person's death, and they would come, and they would scream and mourn and cry, and the louder and the more mourners there were, the more important the person was in the society of the day, and the children would mimic that, and they would say, this is a funeral, come and mourn, let's Pretend and let us play. But the other children wouldn't play. 
They refused to play the games that their companions proposed. They wouldn't participate. And, and Jesus says, John came like a funeral, austere in his lifestyle, eating very meager food, dressed in rough clothing, living in the wilderness. It was like a funeral. He didn't eat great amounts of food with feasts and festivals, and, and he did not drink. He did nothing. And they say, he has a demon. Now, we don't have that recorded in Scripture, but we have from good report that people were saying that John the Baptist was demon-possessed. And quite frankly, if you saw John the Baptist walking the streets of Alasta today, walking around in skins and with a, uh, unkempt hair, never cutting his hair, never shaving his beard, walking and proclaiming, repent for the kingdom of heaven is his hand, you would declare him insane. Or worse, demon-possessed. And then he said, the Son of Man, referring to himself, came eating and drinking. He fellowshiped and ate with all who would invite him into their homes, whether they were the tax collectors or whether they were the Pharisees. We have him uh, sharing time with Simon the Pharisee as well as Matthew in, in his home, a tax collector. They say, look at him. He's a glutton and a drunkard. Jesus was neither a glutton nor a drunkard, but he went to where the need was great, and it was greatest among the tax collectors and those who were considered by society the sinners. Jesus went to them. That was true. Wisdom is justified by her deeds. Jesus was like, uh, like a wedding. Back in chapter 9 and again in verse 25, we see him being referred to as the bridegroom, a joyous time. And so if John brought the message of repentance, then Jesus was bringing the message of repentance mixed with joy, come unto me. Now I'll give you rest. The bridegroom whose presence brings great joy was among them, and they refused to listen to him. They were like children refusing to play the game. They refused to, to respond to either. Neither the ascetic lifestyle of John the Baptist or the social reaching to people lifestyle of the Lord Jesus Christ. They wouldn't go either way. They were inconsistent, and they were hypocritical. I'd say, this one has a demon. And I would say, this one is demon-possessed and is a friend of sinners, a, a glutton, a drunkard. And the only true criticism that was made was Jesus was a friend to tax collectors and sinners. Carl Blomberg says that Jesus' little parable here teaches us three lessons. First of all, the joyful message of forgiveness should be freely celebrated and not dampened by legalistic restrictions. We should rejoice in our Christian walk, and too many of us are, 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 are busy trying to follow little legalistic rules, do this, don't do that, instead of enjoying the freedom that Christ has given us. But secondly, the message of repentance cannot be ignored. It must be taken with seriousness. Yes, we are called to a holy lifestyle. We are called to a lifestyle that is pleasing to the Lord. We must turn from our sin and turn to Christ. This cannot be ignored. And the truth of both of these principles are, are demonstrated by those who imp implement them, John and Jesus. The wise, it's mentioned here, could be personified as wisdom or even personified as wisdom's children. That was Jesus and John. 
They were wisdom. They were wise, not the crowd, not the religious leaders. None of us are wise. Paul says to the Corinthian church, very few of us had a lot of money. Very few of us had a lot of power. Very few of us had a lot of of wisdom by the world's standard. But each of us has been brought into Christ. And uh, the people of Jesus' day and John's day, they would listen to their words, but they would not receive them. They would not understand them. And they would not repent. And it's true. We have problem with both uh, 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 John and Jesus' lifestyle. A lot of times we prefer the grace without moral absolutes or, or law, without the opportunity to live responsibility. We want to live free from strangling regulations. But you and I should be like Jesus. We should be the friends of sinners, not participating in their sin, but bringing them the message of Christ. And too many Christians err on the other side, choking on rules and regulations, but they would never allow a person who was a known sinner to come into their home or into their church. But compared to Christ, what am I? I am chief among sinners, and he has reached to me, and he loves me. He cares for me. He teaches me, and he changes me. You want to look like Jesus? Then don't be afraid to fellowship with disreputable people as long as you are bringing them the truth that he brought them. We hear the words of Jesus here. We see them on the page. But do we look with compassion upon the crowds of those upon whom society looks down? Christians, you and I need to look like Christ. We sing, show us Christ, and here he is on the pages of Holy Writ. Now you've seen him go and be like him. John the Baptist said in chapter 3, verse 8, to the Pharisees who were coming to him for baptism. This is before he began proclaiming Jesus. But he was proclaiming the message of repentance. And he says to them, who, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? And there is wrath coming. We were talking in our prayer time, and men, I would encourage you to come join us on Sunday mornings, the first Sunday of the month at 7.30. Come and be a part of that time. And we were speaking this morning about the fact that everyone's concerned about the heating of the earth, but there is coming a fire that will consume the earth, heat like no one has known before. And the Pharisees thought, well, we'll cover our bases. But then John said to them, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. You truly repented? Then bear fruit that looks like that. And for you and for me who have come to faith in Christ, it means that we look like Jesus. And it means sometimes that we walk lonely roads. Jesus has sent his disciples out into Galilee, and they are going, and he is walking alone, going through all of their towns, doing mighty, mighty works. There are those who have unrepentant hearts. Are you that person? Then I plead with you on the authority of Scripture, turn to Christ Turn from yourself. Come into him. There are those who just outright rejected. Then there were those who were just indifferent to the message. You're going to find a lot of this as you go forth. Verse 20 says, Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done. He began to denounce them because they did not repent. Repent. 
And then he begins to name the city. And we don't have any record of him doing mighty works in Chorazin or in Bethsaida. But we know that because Scripture tells us that those were cities in which he had ministered and done mighty works. And he says, if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented a long time ago. But I tell you, it's going to be more bearable on the day of judgment, that day of which I spoke, when all things will be purified by the fire of God, and those who are in Christ will be gathered to him, and those who refuse Christ will be rejected. But it is also not only those who blatantly refuse Christ, it is those who just choose to ignore him. And that's what was taking place in these cities. It was taking place in Capernaum. He says, you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? Echoes of Isaiah's message about uh, the king of Babylon. Thinking he would be exalted to heaven and he was cast down in judgment in his day. He says, you'll be brought down. If the mighty works had been done in you, had been done in Sodom, Sodom would still be standing. That's an amazing statement. But Jesus was lamenting God's coming judgment upon the cities in which many of his miracles had occurred. And because they just generally rejected him and ignored him, they stood under the same condemnation as those who stand openly against him. The Lord Jesus says... Matthew 12, verse 30, whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. It is one thing to stand against Christ. It is one thing to persecute those who are true followers of Jesus, and there are many who do that. There are others who will reject you, make fun of you, say all manner of evil against you falsely because you are standing for Christ, and you do so for Christ's sake. But then there are others who will say, go away, I really just don't want to hear what you have to say. And so it was in these cities where he's going, Chorazin, Asida, Capernaum, hearing the gospel proclaimed, hearing the kingdom proclaimed, hearing the message of the Lord Jesus proclaimed, seeing powerful and mighty works, and then saying, oh, that's a nice little sideshow. Oh, that's really interesting. And they went on living their lives as if he had never even been among them. And you're saying, woe to these cities. Now, certainly there were individuals in the city who would follow Christ. Lot and his family, even though his wife looked back, Lot and his family were spared in the days of Sodom because he believed the word of God. So it is not that every individual in those cities was going to fall into judgment, but the cities themselves just simply acted as if nothing was any different. I mean, he's throwing some scathing things. I mean, for a Jew in Jesus' audience there to prefer Tyre or Sidon or certainly not Sodom, that's, this was just an outrageous message. But Jesus is saying, look at the works I've done. The blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk, the poor have the gospel preached to them. Look, and nothing changes. They're just indifferent. He was just a distraction from their daily lives for a moment. Don't you understand that they were as much against Jesus as those who ultimately sought to kill him and killed him? Because even if you are not standing against the gospel this morning, if you disregard it, you will receive the same judgment as those who are persecuting our brothers and sisters and sending them to the grave today. 
If you are here this day and you are just simply saying, well, I like church and I like it, okay. I'm just not going to put my faith and trust in, in Christ. It's going to ruin my lifestyle. It's going to cramp me. It's going to cause me more problems and all of those things. Then you are in danger when you breathe your last of stepping into judgment where God will say, I don't know you. And Christians, this is a call for us to look into our own lives. As a follower of Jesus, you bear his name, and therefore, you should live as if Christ is the most important person, the most important relationship. Your Savior, your God, your King. You should live in total, absolute love for Him in obedience. But too many Christians are living the lives of practical atheists. Naming the name of Christ on a Sunday morning or Sunday night if, if they decided to come on a Sunday night. By the way, did you all know we have services on Sunday night? Did you know we have services on Wednesday night? We have Bible studies throughout the week. Did you know this? Come and participate with us that we might share one another's burdens and love one another and worship together. John the Baptist couldn't get to Jesus, but he sent people whom he was having fellowship with in his place. He would have gone if he could. That you and I cannot name the name of Christ on Sunday morning or any other time and then live as if he doesn't matter. We continue to desire our sin and say we have Jesus too. To desire our selfishness and say we have Jesus too. To, to, to have unforgiving hearts and say we have Jesus too. These are not compatible. You cannot serve God and mammon. When you come to Christ, you sell out completely to him. Completely. To him. And if you claim the name of Christ, say you're a Christian and you are ignoring him with most, if not all, of your lives, then you've got one or two problems. First of all, you are either truly converted and you have begun to follow uh, the things of the old life, this earthly life, and they have become to attract you or to distract you from your walk of faith and your true love, Christ. Or, you might be in the situation of those that the Lord Jesus described in Matthew chapter 7, verses at which we looked several months back. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? That strikes at this pulpit. It strikes at your Sunday school lectern, teacher. It strikes at your gospel, Christian, in your home, at your work, at your school. They go on. We cast out demons in your name. We did many mighty works in your name. Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Either of those situations, Christian or non-Christian, puts you in a dangerous spot. For if you are truly converted and are not living the life of righteousness, then your mortal life may be in danger. Because the Lord does not tolerate that kind of stuff in his church. He doesn't tolerate that kind of stuff out of his children. But the greater need that perhaps some that are even been church members for a long time have is you need a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's why I preach the gospel and present the gospel every single time I preach. 
Even if it's people that I know all have named the name of Christ, I will preach the gospel in the hopes that if there is one who is unconverted, the Spirit of God will enter that life, convict that life, bring repentance to that life, grant faith to that life, and save that soul. And you ought to care. And you ought to want that too. Total rejection of Jesus or simply ignoring him has the same result. It is judgment. But there is a way that is the way of Jesus. It is the true way of faith. And what appears to be a public declaration But talking with the Father, Jesus addresses God as his his Father, acknowledging their relationship, his sonship. But he also acknowledged that God is Lord of heaven and earth. These are appropriate titles. Calling God Father shows the closeness of relationship. And in Christ, you and I have the right to call God not only formal father, but to call him Abba, call him Daddy. But to say that he is Lord of heaven and earth acknowledges that he is sovereign over the universe. And he prepares all things and even hearts in accordance with his will. God is is, is free to conceal his will or to reveal his will. He had revealed the significance of Jesus in the miracles and in the content of his children. And the little children had received it. Those with childlike faith. Not the haughty and proud religious bunch trying to earn their way to heaven with enough rituals and good works or Sunday school attendance or church attendance or whatever it might be, but those who had realized that they had come to an end of their selves. And the wise and the learned would have included the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, but also those of that generation and of this generation Individuals and entire cities who have rejected him or who have ignored him thinking that they have a better way or that there is no way or that they are the way, rejecting Christ, rejecting God. The real significance of Jesus' ministry was concealed from them They just couldn't get it. But Jesus wasn't just talking about the educated ones among them, but about those who were self-sufficient, deemed themselves wise. The riches of the good news of the kingdom was revealed to those who were like children, needing total reliance, total care in order just to breathe their next breath. I love it when Clara or sometimes Emmy Lou or some of the other children, they will just come running to me and they will leap into my arms. And I think it's because they know I love them. But mom and dad, they need you to feed them, to clothe them, to bathe them, to care for them. We need Jesus to feed us, to clothe us, to wash us in his word, to care for us. Children also love to be taught, don't they? They love to be taught. Come to me, all you who are laboring and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and what? Learn from me. Children love to be taught. 
Do you have this thirst to go into the Word of God and to learn what it says about life and about uh, the world and about mankind and about God and about salvation and about your need and about how He has met that need? Do you go into Scripture longing for this, thirsting for this? Children love to be taught. Do you love to be taught? And you say, well, it's... It seems unrighteous that God might conceal these things from, from some of these people. But that's not an act of, of, of injustice. It is an act of judgment. They refuse to receive Christ. And quite frankly, the astonishing news here in these things is not that God acts in judgment, but that he acts in mercy. God has a right to judge the world, and the moment Adam and Eve fell into sin, instead of promising the gospel, the Savior who is coming, and following that throughout redemption history, and indeed the history of, of mankind, God could have just said, you know, I don't need this, and all things would have ceased to exist. But in his mercy, he's reached you, and you, and you. And you, and you, and you, and me. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus and wonder how he could love me. Every day, more and more, I stand astounded at my Savior. And God has put it in my heart to come to him. And Jesus has said, you come to me. And the call went out in compassion to the crowds, and they were harassed, and they were helpless. They were weary and heavy laden, weary from fruitless spiritual labor, trying to earn their way to God through the righteous works of the Pharisees and other things. They were heavy laden by rules and works, righteousness, and all of those things. But finally, they as little children could despair of their own futile efforts to please God and come to faith and repentance to Christ and that invitation remains if you're tired of trying to figure it out on your own tired of trying to earn favor with God know this you can't do anything to earn favor with God Christ has done it all come to Christ Come to Christ. I will give you rest, the Lord says. I'll give you spiritual rest. You can rest from your uh, uh, striving to earn a relationship with God by your works. You may rest in my accomplished work and in the assurance that you are saved and kept by your sovereign Father and that he will supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory. You may rest in that assurance that on the day that you breathe your last, you will step into the loving arms of the one who gave his life for you. And so for now, we wear his yoke, whereby he directs us. He gives us instruction and teaching. We look for Jesus. He is the one who shows us God. He is the one who shows us how to live. Good works does not produce salvation. But Christian, if you are saved, it produces good works. We need to be doing the works of him who sent us just as Jesus did the works of the Father who sent him. And so we learn to be meek and lowly of heart and draw near to God, humbling ourselves, knowing that in his time and in his way, he will raise us up. In Christ, you have been freed Free to please God. Free to be in fellowship with him and in fellowship with his children. You are free to be that which he had created human beings to be originally. People who love him, serve him, worship him. Would you bow together? This morning you are one of these three. 
You are those who have come to Christ and cast yourselves completely upon him. And though you struggle, and so sometimes you have, 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 have despair even, you know that you are held safely in the arms of Jesus Christ. And so we fellowship with you, we fellowship together, we come together often that we might be able to cast our cares not only upon the Lord Jesus, but upon each other and that we will help one another. And perhaps there's one here who has stood openly against the gospel of Christ, but certainly there are some who are here who have simply said, this is not a convenient day. I'll give my attention to the Lord Jesus someday. And my friends, the danger is that someday will never come. And so the appeal of Christ goes out from this pulpit, come to faith in Christ this day, that you might live lives that are pleasing to our Lord God now but also so that you might have life everlasting in the care of your Creator and God. If you desire to come to faith in Christ this morning, I would encourage you even now to rise up, to walk into one of the three aisles and to pass through one of the three doors that are just opposite of me. Someone will meet you there. Someone will pray with you if you are in need. Maybe you're a Christian and you are fallen into the doldrums and you need someone to pray with you. Someone waits to pray with you right there, right now. Perhaps you do want to put your faith in Christ and you just don't know exactly what all of that means. Someone is there to explain the truth of the gospel to you. My great desire is that none of us who leave this place this morning will leave unchanged, but that each of us will be changed in accordance with the will of Christ. And so, our Father, I pray that through the foolishness of preaching that your truth has struck hearts and minds, that you will change not only uh, the listener, but even this preacher in accordance with your will Bring us into right relationship with you and with one another and send us forth with great compassion upon the multitudes that are lost and headed for judgment. Lord, give us courage when we face open opposition. Give us persistence when we face those who would ignore your truth. Give us power that we do not have but the power of your Spirit. May we do so in our daily lives, through this church, through mission organizations, and through people who have been sent to carry the message to the ends of the earth. Change our hearts, O oh God. Make us like Christ. This is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.